0: When an orphaned baby orangutan looks you in the eye in VR, look or look—they're looking at the camera, right? They're looking at something shiny and new in their world that they want to touch and break, and you know, uh, poses challenges for us filmmakers. But um, in virtual reality, when you see that in the headset, they're reaching out to you. They're reaching out to touch you.
1: This is no such thing—a podcast about the promise and reality of learning with technology. I'm Mark Lesser.
2: Not long ago, I had the privilege of hosting a conversation with these two. My name is Kristen Velasquez. I was born and raised in Flatbush, Brooklyn, and I am a 19-year-old production assistant. My name is Max Solomon,
0: and I'm one of the founding partners of uh, Black Dot Films, and we do a lot of the virtual reality content in nonfiction for uh, brands like National Geographic and others.
1: Chris is a young guy in the midst of a gap year between high school and uh, potentially college. But uh, he's out there exploring through a really unique program called the Made in New York Production Assistance Training Program or the PA Training Program. Uh, He's exploring a field that he's really passionate about. And the first hour of this episode is a conversation between Chris and Emmy Award winning documentarian Max Solomon, who uh, extremely generously offered his time to uh, explore uh, his journey, uh, in becoming a storyteller and answering some questions for Chris about, uh, what it means to do this work and, uh, and how to, uh, cope with things like self-doubt and, um, uh, whether college is the right path. So, uh, I hope you enjoy that. If you wanna jump right to VR and filmmaking, go into about an hour and three minutes where uh, Max and I and uh, Chris really dig a little deeper into some of Max's amazing experience with Black Dot Films. Enjoy. Max, Chris, thank you guys for being on No Such Thing. This is um, a huge treat for me. Uh, because we get to talk about one of my favorite topics. lots of my favorite topics and in fact it's kind of the intersection of a few of my my, uh, worlds in the sense that I'm uh, a a sort of visual storytelling geek in the sense that you know I went to film school as a as a kid when I was when I was uh, Chris's age and um, always thought I was very very inspired as a young kid around with um, documentary because my dad one of my fondest memories as a kid, was sitting with him on the couch, at a time when Jacques Cousteau was was big, and I was like mind blown by some of the things I was seeing through Jacques Cousteau's cameras, and I was just immediately hooked. I think my entry point to media as a as a learning tool was really those moments where um, I was doing a lot better at um, getting excited about what I was seeing. Uh, when I was on the couch with my dad watching Jacques Cousteau than I was in in uh, formal science classes and uh, and that really is a huge part of my work still today as we're trying to uh, think about how the digital age sort of intersects with the lives of young people and and how this becomes not only uh, a learning tool, but a tool of empowerment to help uh, you tell your own stories to help you cultivate an identity that becomes meaningful to you and to the world and and uh, so anyway i 'm just so excited. we have Max here from Paris, uh, which is a long way to come to join us and and i 'm uh, Super grateful for that. I know we're not the only meeting on your your calendar this week, um, but it's pretty cool to have you here. And and you are uh, an Emmy award winning uh, documentarian. You have worked as a producer, a director. Uh, you've written. Um, I learned that uh, you were one of the only production teams to be uh, able to go into Guantanamo. Yep um i very strange place i i would imagine and i want to ask you about that Mm -hmm. i want to ask you first uh about your sort of where your journey as a storyteller started
0: you know i think it's hard to that's a tough that's a really tough question i I think sort of similarly to, similarly to you you know you you at some point when you're growing up you figure out what you're interested in right that's what really what growing up is is figuring out what makes your brain go no oh, that's interesting to me yeah um and you know I mean one of the things that I, I, I you know stories are always part of your family and, and you have an interesting you know I moved around a lot when I was a kid um you know before that was like by the time I was in third grade i I had to speak three different languages. I was mm. Born in Germany, I, we moved to France, and then we moved to moved to um, here to New York, uh, and then eventually out to the West Coast. And so you, you kind of, um, you know, for, for me, that sort of in terms of identity and, and who you are and all of that, you're kind of you kind of constantly having to introduce yourself to people or explain mm-hmm. yourself or who you are because you're not from somewhere predictable, right? Um, you have these sort of fractured uh, fractured backgrounds, um, but. Um, I found myself at some point in high school. Really, this sounds totally geeky, and I've I've since met some of these folks and admitted this to them. But um, I would come home from school, um, and I was sometimes a little bored in school. It was just a little too, you know, um, the the narrative, the story was a little too broad, and I just sometimes didn't engage. I mean, I was smart. I you know I did really well. I frustrated my teachers like to death mm-hmm. because I I was that kid that wouldn't. Do a stitch of homework sometimes. I remember my French teacher was was someone who like she I wouldn't turn in the the, the like the, whatever the copied lists of conjugated French verbs or whatever. Because, but like I would drive her nuts because she would then engage me in oral conversation in in the in the in the classroom and I'd have no problem. Mm-hmm. And or I would take the test and have no problem. I would I would do just fine, but yeah. I wouldn't do the little thing that she wanted or needed me to do for yeah. whatever reason. And I just didn't see the point of it because I got to the end result anyway. Right. Um, so I was that 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 guy that annoys the teacher in that way some yeah. in some cases, yeah. um, and oftentimes I wouldn't like I find myself not studying for things or whatever. But what I would do I would come home, and my way of rebelling was to listen to NPR, mm. which sounds like a totally strange thing to say. Like your your way of rebelling is to is yeah not do homework, sit down and and listen to when I was a kid as a thirteen year old four hours of of you know, really geeky intellectual broadcasting right. public broadcasting, but. It, it, it for me. It started to shape uh, storytelling. Really, I started to realize. Um, you know, I mean, like you, you, I'd come home. I'd listen to um, I forget what the program was called. Um, it was sort of an economics program that was on right around 4 o'clock. And then you know, after that, Fresh Air would come on with mm-hmm. Terry Gross, and she'd be talking to really interesting people. And just this notion that you can that you can ask people questions and get and, and engage with them, mm-hmm. and 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 that notion that there's a, a job out there that's a Driven by your own curiosity about the world, mm-hmm. um, that to me like turned on lights in my head. Like that you can, that 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 you can go out and do that. You can go find interesting things that interest you, and then ask them questions. Right? Like that's the one thing that you, you know, that in documentary that's so fantastic is that depending on what kind of format you're working in and all of that. But it's sort of like you never leave school in a way, mm-hmm. or you know, you're constantly in graduate school. You're getting to go out, find a topic. Um, and then find the people that are like the best in the field at that topic, be that archaeology or whatever, the, the top of the world. You, you know, we did a film about um, a, Le- a lost Leonardo Vinci painting, and you know, you get to ask the guy that you know uncovers lost Leonardo's any question you want, mm-hmm. right? Um, that to me was fascinating. That was that 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 caught fire with me. It was like that that curiosity about. Um, And wanting to understand, and you know, or or working with scientists to help them communicate their ideas, and and getting that insight—that's that to me is what what really did it.
1: What was what was the point? So, so you end up at Northwestern. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, What was the point at which the you got excited about not just the sort of acquiring the information that was sort of. Uh, meaningful to you, but then sharing it out and seeing people get excited by what you had uncovered. So, so I
0: I ended up at, at Northwestern. I actually got into Northwestern in the biology program.
1: Uh-huh. I was oh, like, re- I like,
0: I took in you know, my in high school. I was you know I took every AP class that you could, and I think I took AP calculus my junior year. So I was kind of, I was kind of, I was a geek. Um, yeah. Certainly, you know, um, and 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 I realized I didn't everybody else at northwestern that was in the biology program was going pre med like mm. that was that was the path that they were on they were super competitive and i just i didn't i didn't enjoy it i didn't enjoy I, enjoy I realized that i enjoyed the story of science the story of of you know all those discoveries and things i didn't necessarily enjoy the act of chemical pipetting and, you know, mm-hmm. all the stuff that you do in a chemistry lab and, and, and memorizing uh, ion charts. I like the big idea, yeah. right? Like, what are we chasing, right? Yep. Um, or understanding the, 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 you know, it wasn't to me about the mechanics of mm-hmm. it at the end of the day. Um, and, I, and I always had this interest in media that had been sort of boiling under the surface. And so right even before I, um, this gets really granular, but I, I essentially got myself into the film program. Um, because it was easier to take science classes from inside the film program than to be in the science program and take film classes oh, in, the, interesting. In, in the way that the school was set up, yeah so um you know being at northwestern i mean you 're at a research university, one of the top ten schools um, uh in the country at that point, and so you 're in this really rich environment, and you almost in a weird way you don 't realize the opportunity you have mm. right to really be in that environment um and I sort of I knew that I wanted to do journalism in some form. I was doing a lot of photography. I was I were, I was you know Northwestern has a really strong journalism school. Um, I was doing a lot of the f- sort of photography for the daily newspaper that was on campus and, mm-hmm. and and also a lot of documentary work. And I started to sort of really realize that what I really liked wasn't fiction. I liked nonfiction, mm. and that's because in f- you know in fiction you have to be believable. In nonfiction, you don't. Right. The the things can be so weird. Um, but the premise at the front is that it's real and it's mm. true. And that you can tell much stranger, weirder, bizarre stories in nonfiction than you can in fiction.
1: Oh, that's such a crazy, uh, crazy way to put it. But I love that. It's true.
0: You have the burden of being believable in fiction. Yeah. Right. You
1: know, always say, oh, you can't
0: you can't have a character that's like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's there's people I've met in my in the course of my career that, you know, would have to be toned down to be put in a fiction film.
1: Yeah. Wow. So um Chris, yeah. you we before uh Max Scott here, you and I were talking about some of the experiences you've been having as a young PA in New York. PA stands yes. for production assistant. Absolutely. For those for those uh outside of the bubble of uh film and video arts. Yeah. Um which is sometimes, especially when you're starting out, code for uh gopher Right, like coffee coffee getter of all kinds, tapered down of salad dresser. (laughs) Salad dresser. Oh my god,
0: what kind of evil people do you work for?
1: Oh yeah. All, all of it. So, so one of the cool things about this conversation is that that Max is one of the fancy people that like you're you're uh, you know waiting after work to try and get a few minutes with, right. um, and so we get to have this cool conversation uh, from from different ends of the the journey, and and um, I love to be able to do that. Um, tell me about where you are right now, uh-huh. right, and, and how you sort of came to this point that, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, film and production might be uh, a thing that you want to do. And you right. fell into a pretty great program that I want to make sure we give uh, a good shout to, which is the Made in New York um, apprenticeship. So Absolutely. tell us about that. Um, about Made in New York? Yeah, and and sort of how you how you got to that point. You're right. you're doing this gap year, which I'm I'm right. kind of excited for people to hear about because I right. could not be a bigger uh, advocate for uh, mm-hmm. gap year between twelfth mm-hmm. grade
2: and and whatever comes next for people. Yeah. So um, yeah, I graduated in August 2016, and I um, pr- prior to that I knew that I wanted to have a career in creativity. I knew I didn't want to. Go to a cubicle or have a nine to five, mm-hmm. because everybody that I know that's in that situation is is not to say that nine to fives are are bad. People have to do what they have to do, but I just felt like that wasn't for me. I just felt like, you know, a, an accountant job or you know working at a bank or something like that. Those are things that people suggested to me, but I could never imagine myself doing that. So, after high school, instead of going straight to college, I decided to wait a year I got my driver's license I got a lot of important things done and um, I was lucky enough to get into the Made in New York program which is a six week production assistant training program and they basically taught me the ins and outs and the fundamentals of production and, and being a production assistant and the trials and tribulations and the uh, the crazy things that we have to do for these people and um, it, it was a great program it was a great experience amazing teachers um i really built a bond with my teachers in that very short period of time and um i learned so much years worth of stuff that they they told us and um yeah recently i've been my last gig was about two weeks ago i was working on an indie in harlem and um that was actually the first film that i've worked on prior Mm -hmm. to that i've done music videos and, and tv shows and um health fests and different things like that yeah so it's been a really interesting journey and i'm very excited to see where it takes me what's the craziest thing you've been asked to do as a pa oh man um i i don't want to i don't want to rat anyone out but i've been (laughs) i've been on sets i've been on sets where there's got to be beer on set like there's got to be beer there's got to be alcohol Uh uh-huh and like for I, for the production crew or for the actors or um, the producers, the higher ups, the, right. the the people who are working the hardest, uh-huh. I guess they need that that gas to keep them going, and um, yeah, I, I did I did several several beer runs. <laughs> several um I have never asked <laughs> someone who works for me to do a beer run until, oh, yeah.
0: unless we're done the day yeah. but now that have and, the and idea. then it's usually me that does the beer run and yeah. gives the beer
1: to everybody else that's been working with us yeah. but I I guess yeah I mean there's for the for there's, the record that's pretty not funny. everyone's like that no I understand <laughs> so yeah. how was tell me you went to a uh, you were you were lucky I think although you may not think so um
2: in the high school that you attended you went yes. to an art school right no I went to well, I went to New Utrecht—oh, sorry, my hat fell. Yeah. I went to New Utrecht High School. Okay. It's actually a really basic, normal high school. do oh, okay. don't They don't offer anything extracurricular. Okay. I had to go about all of that myself. So, all of the exposure that you had was through the informal programs
1: that, yes. that you were doing. Mm-hmm. So, um, before Made in New York, what was it that sort of
2: led you there? I know you had some exposure to I-Beam. Mm-hmm. And— um, yeah, I, I did a couple programs that I thought I wanted to be a video game designer. I thought that's what I wanted to do because mm-hmm. I love video games so much and I've been playing them my whole life. Um, but in 2014, I attended the B Cap Teen program, which was basically um, a filmmaking program, f- but for teenagers. Mm-hmm. And I learned a lot of um, basically the fundamentals of making your own projects mm-hmm. instead of um, like working on set and stuff. And um That really sparked my passion and my interest to want to go ahead and and go forth and make that a career. Yeah. Do you remember
1: what BCAP stands for?
2: uh brooklyn cultural adventures program and that's that's out of brooklyn public library yes Mm -hmm. yeah they have do some great work in Brooklyn. amazing and it's it's changed lives i've seen um i was in the first class Mm -hmm. and um every year they invite me back just to spectate for a day or two Mm -hmm. and um these kids are talented like these kids have ideas they have passion and they're so fortunate to be in a program that enables them that enables their imagination and um the sky's the limit for them Mm -hmm. and that that program is just amazing it's just it's a life-changing program and um so yeah so once i graduated from there then that's when i decided that i really wanted to do this with my life Mm. and um my mother has her bachelor's in screenwriting so you know growing up growing up me and her would um watch movies together and you know uh, she'll get an assignment watch this watch raging bull watch the shawshank redemption and we would just watch those together and we would just have a blast and we would laugh we would cry we would jump up and dance just because that's what film you know it's it's the the passion and, and it's just it's there
1: yeah and it sounds like it's it's kind of a family thing for you guys absolutely that's pretty cool yeah um yeah. It,
0: well, it was just interesting to hear you say that you know that, that somebody sa- says oh you should go out and get a job in a bank or something right. like that for me it was like you know, i'm the first uh uh you know i come from a german jewish family um i'm the first male in like a couple generations not to have a phd in something
1: oh is that right i wow. mean like there
0: was you know my dad is a phd in physics my mom's dad phd in engineering her brother is a PhD in geology like it's just it you know part of that expectation of what you're mm-hmm. supposed to do and it's it's nice max that you're interested in in this film thing right yeah. there was a moment when I, I I was you know I was it was you know I mean obviously you know we're we're a you know hard-working middle class family um, and you know Northwestern wasn't a cheap school to go to and there mm-hmm. was a, a certain amount of, of pressure that like you're gonna go like that I need to come out of this with a career mm. with a job and so there was this pressure on me to 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 go and do the you know become a biologist or something that you know would would be in that sp- science yeah. f- space. And you know, because a lot of, I think a lot of parents oftentimes think about oh, you got to make money, you got to you got to have a job It's reliable that you can you know do for f- forty years of your life and then retire and mm-hmm. and and all of that. And yeah, that's that's true for some people, and that works for some people. But I, I knew I, the same way that you did. I. I mm-hmm. I couldn't see myself doing the same thing.
2: Mm-hmm. I, Absolutely I mean, not.
0: That, that, and that was one of the things for me that that lit up the dream of like I didn't know was was it journalism? What was it? But I liked the idea that every day I would be outside and encountering something different that mm-hmm. I didn't know. So that that notion of curiosity, and if you can tap into a kid's curiosity, I think, at an early stage, and show them that that you know that it's okay to be curious, it's okay to ask questions, and to and to try to shape something out there um, that's you know that, I think that's when that when it really lights up
1: so for um, you know Chris is gonna keep getting all kinds of mixed a mixed bag of advice being a storyteller and doing the kind mm-hmm. of work that you do is is a far cry from being a production assistant it's where a lot of people start for sure mm-hmm. um, but Chris is in this place where he's trying to decide what's next uh, in becoming a storyteller do you have advice um he's gotten advice from producers not to go to college Mm -hmm. um and there's no right answer obviously Uh, but if you had to maybe to do over uh if you were in chris's shoes what do you think is the most important thing for him to keep in mind whether it's about school or not always keep in mind what is this leading to like if you're getting a guy
0: coffee it's great but why what's next and like just because there's you can go down the production assistant or you know you can you can go and and i had friends in film school that left uh, northwestern education to go out and be a grip in la Mm -hmm. and like you know you go up the grip ladder and you're thinking might maybe time you end up in the camera department or the you know the lighting or whatever you'll you'll move up further in that machine it was part of for me also what i liked about nonfiction is that the teams tend to be much smaller and more intimate Mm -hmm. um you know you go out with a much smaller crew and and you know on a Hollywood set, you can very quickly become a cog in a machine for mm-hmm. life. Yep. Right. So you know, um, it's a little different. Hollywood is much more structured. Um, Hollywood is. You know, it doesn't mean New York is Hollywood too. I mean, mm-hmm. that 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 film industry. Um, but I don't think I'm answering your question. What was it again?
1: What's What's your advice for him? Uh, and I think you gave it. It's It's to think about what comes next.
0: Yeah, think about what comes next. But I think the, I think. Here's the thing. I think if you want to be in a creative industry and actually be doing the creative stuff and not be going down the technical path, and there's nothing wrong with the technical path if you like the technical. But if you're going to go down the technical path, you have to be somebody who has complete OCD Mm -hmm. and and that your joy and pleasure from it um, comes about that thing, whatever it is, being technically perfect. You're a technician, Mm -hmm. right? If you want to go on the creative side of it, going into the technical end of it, is actually counterproductive because um uh you 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 become good at a technical skill and you'll get continue to get hired by that that's what i mean by what's next from that it's like you become really good at this then you're going to step up one more level from being you know um uh, uh whatever the advancement technically is in that in that field um, right but you you know you can be the, become the best top colorist uh, mm. you know in a, in a in a in a post-production house right but that means that you're going to be color grading images for the rest of your life you're never going to be the one that decides what the story is about and if you like storytelling and you like writing and all of that you know it's important to study storytelling i think that if you're ultimately film is just another you know if we were to go a hundred years ago before the movie camera was invented you'd Mm -hmm. you'd still have that same drive you'd still want to tell a story you'd just be using a different tool Mm -hmm. a different kind of pen so in order to understand it I think you need to really study storytelling and that and that's where where school is really important I think I mean I, I think the idea of going in you know the, the idea of a gap year is for the right person is great um, as long as you don't as long as you decide, I'm going to take this to figure out what it is that I'm passionate about, yep. right? Like that whole thing of growing up, like we were talking about earlier, is, is at some point it clicks in what it is that you love. And mm-hmm. when you can find something that you love, then it's not work, it's play, right? Absolutely, and it drives you, and you don't feel the. I mean, I, I still, you know, if I if I didn't love the the work that we were doing right now, um, there's so much hard stuff. There's so much exhaustion. There's mm-hmm. so much, you know, you don't really get paid for the hours you work, no matter where you are in this thing. So it's it's uh, you have to love it. And you have to have a passion for it. And if you mm-hmm. can find that passion to fuel you, um, you know that that you know you're 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 going to be happy. Yeah. That, that, ultimately. So, but to my point being. Figure out what storytelling is. Understand storytelling, and and what I loved about being at a school like Northwestern or at university in general. There's not it's not Northwestern. I don't need to plug them, mm-hmm. but what I loved about about college was um, that I could learn about how a story was told in ancient Greece. I could learn how that how a story was told in medieval literature. I could you know looking at like th- film from the 1930s in Germany. Um, you know all these you know when people had. Um, New ideas, like you know, uh, early early movies, you know, they 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 figured out an engineer, you know, figured out that they could make a moving picture, but they didn't know how to tell a story with Mm -hmm. it yet. So what they were trying, what they ended up doing was was filming actually just a a a, a train coming at you, and it wasn't a story; it was just railroad track. At some point, somebody realizes, well, that's just moving picture, but what can we do with it? Mm -hmm. Right. Right. It took them a whole another ten years to figure out what editing was, the whole grammar of of film, right? Um, To to know that you know you show a man's face face and then you show a bowl of soup that, that that the audience makes the conclusion that that man's hungry, right? Or you show that man's face and you show a coffin, they'd say that oh that man looks like he's sad, they mm-hmm. make you know we make assumptions that all that had to be invented. Right. Um you know the, the same thing is true about theater, the same thing is true about writing, the same thing is true about you know poetry, all these different things and these techniques and the and the and the results that you can get and and how you shape a story. Um, that's you know, once you, we all sometimes have that internal instinct to want to write, to want to, But you get better by looking at other people's work and studying other people's work and reading and consuming as much. Like for me, you know, when I was that kid, I knew I wanted to tell stories. I knew I wanted to be in, in probably in journalism. But that osmosis of, I mean, that, 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 those four hours of vegging out when I was supposed to be doing, practicing, practicing whatever musical instrument I was supposed to be practicing or mm-hmm. doing my homework in French, whatever, all that stuff that I, that I shut out and and rebelled and listened to NPR as right. ridiculous right. as that sounds. Right. I've since had the chance to admit
1: that to Robert Siegel. No. We, thought it, we thought it was really funny. Um, <laughs> that's his, <laughs> what's hysterical is I was going to say, I'm sure Terry Gross would be delighted to hear that, that your well, t- your time with her was was your rebellion but oh, we yeah, you got talked
0: Robert Siegel I, well, about yeah that's, it.
1: that's a whole other story but like you end up you end up like you
0: know this is a, a you know someone that whose voice i knew like you know my dad's yeah. voice if you listen to it that much and mm-hmm. yeah and we all do um to some extent and uh and then to be able to say like you know you were the worm in my ear that like you know just through osmosis that's drilled incredible. in it was really a special moment for me but that um but yeah, but 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 to the point is, figure mm-hmm. out what what storytelling is, and in all its forms. And the more you learn about it, if it's something that you're passionate about. How did somebody, you know, figure out how to solve that story problem? Like, yeah. you know, a lot of what we figure out in storytelling, especially in nonfiction, is what order you tell a story in. Mm-hmm. What what f- comes first? Do you start a story at the beginning? Not necessarily. Sometimes it's better to start the story at the end, right. and 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 then jump back and forwards in time, and how you do that, and what techniques work, and and all those kinds of things are, are things you just learn by, um, by, uh, by looking at them. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing that's really cool right now, and where we are with with um, with technology and and media, is that the old forms where there are these strict walls up between what's a video game and what's a movie or what's a radio program and what's, um, you know, uh, not even a po- – I mean, like radio programs, podcasts, that format, and something that actually does have visuals. Mm. Like there, there's a lot happening right now where there's these cross-pollinations because the technological barrier has, is, is, is no longer there, yep. right? We used to be in a medium with radio where and, 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 and TV where – the TV show was defined by the the hardware, Mm -hmm. right? We had to all agree that, you know, at 8 o'clock, the guy on the top of the hill was going to flip on that antenna, Mm -hmm. right, click. And then we were all going to turn on our sets, click, click, and find the right channel. And at 8 o'clock, we were all as, you know, the city or the country or whatever going to watch I Love Lucy, Right. right? And I Love Lucy had to be exactly half an hour long because there were other programs that were these blocks mm-hmm. of, 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 of so so the half hour long program or the hour long program everything every story has to come to that length yeah. you know one of the things that that sort of to leap forward in, in my world i i became an editor that was my first job in media really um was you, you, you make a film and it's like it makes sense and it's like it's a nice story and all of that and it's you know it's uh, it's Fifty-five minutes and whatever kind of length, kind of that just comes out at. Yeah. And the last thing you have to do is you have to bring the show to length. Yeah. Right? You have to literally trim off you know weird little moments here and there, and find a couple seconds here and find ten right. seconds there to take out to take out to bring it into the clock. Yeah. Right. Which is a completely ridiculous thing to be doing to a story, right? Yeah. Um Now that excruciating, I would excruciating, imagine. and painful, and yeah. sometimes you have to like, or you have to pad a moment out, or find this time, and then and then you get a note from somebody that says actually they decided to sell one more ad, mm. and now you need to take another fifteen mm. seconds out, you need to put another fifteen seconds back in. You're right. like, will somebody make a decision, please? <laughs> um, and it's not driven by the organic shape of the story. Yeah. Well, now in the place that we are at. We no longer need to agree on that guy on the hill when we, you know, when, when we're all going to watch *I Love Lucy* yeah. mm-hmm. and that defining the shape of the program, yeah. right? All of that is going away. The the nature of the broadcast clock is eroding. We're all watching, you know, I the, the stuff that I watch. I watch it on an iPad. I watch 15 episodes of of yeah. something, you know, over the course of two days. I read it like a book, and we're going back to that really organic nature of. There's no reason that a, a comedy needs to be that certain length. You yeah. know, there's all of that is falling apart. And the other thing that's happening, I think, or is happening, going to be happening soon is that, you know, what is what is a radio program and what is a television show or what is a photo- – you know, these, these barriers of photography and, and such are – they're all starting to blur. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, I think I th- people – a lot of times I have conversations with people about transmedia, which is a – you know, a, a – a jargony uh, term for sort of multi-platform experiential storytelling uh, that I, I feel like people now feel like is over, but I actually think that it it is um, we haven't figured it out yet, but it's really just beginning in a in a pretty major way. Well, I mean, this is getting we're we're so getting a little bit off topic from where we were, yeah. but
0: um, the the. To me, it's transmedia implies that there's still a radio program and a book and a photograph and a television show. Mm-hmm. And you're doing you're telling a story across, sort of cross platform, right. right across these existing platforms. I think what's happening is that we're now st- with with sort of we can build our own platform for a certain kind of story True. And, we can, mm-hmm. and, and, and create something new. I mean, that's kind of a little bit what virtual reality is in a way, yeah. you know, is that that it's an it's it doesn't. It is so different from from film. Um, it's in some ways closer to radio. Mm-hmm. It's in some ways closer to theater. Um, uh, it it doesn't have the same grammar. It's mm-hmm. not defined by the same things. not defined by the same language as film. So, how you tell a story and what kind of story works, like, you know, we all know that like a book has to be adapted to be turned into a film. Mm-hmm. Right, it has to sometimes be changed a lot. Um, in terms of how that story gets told, because they're so different, the same, you know, the same, the same thing. At the television show is not the same thing as a radio program. It's not. You can't just. You, can, you know, th- those processes yeah. take time and 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 have to be to refine them to what's good in the medium. Mm. Things work in radio that don't work in TV. Yeah. So, um,
1: and that's
0: and that's true for I think these new platforms that we can play with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so and that's part of the part of the fun stuff I think of growing up now is that there, there, there. In some in some cases, there's no rules. Those old rules apply to those things. You have to study them, have to understand them, but then you know, let's figure out some new form that doesn't look like those yeah.
2: and, and create it. Where do you, where do you take in the most media, Chris? Pretty much on my iPhone. Um, I don't ha- I don't even have cable or anything yeah. or satellite TV or anything. Um, is there a particular platform you you jump on the most? Um for entertainment um where do you spend the most time definitely youtube yeah um are you a are you a uh, twitch no i'm guy? not i'm not really much of a twitch no guy but i, I do i do watch um several youtube programs uh-huh. um some of them educational some of them political some of them gaming uh-huh. some of them entertainment um i do listen to a lot of podcasts i listen to um, joe rogan's podcast um joey diaz's podcast um but other than that that's that's about it yeah yeah so you you were talking max about um
1: these things being invented and and sort of uh vehicles for storytelling you know just even the the uh the language of editing and how that had to be invented and and um and users had to kind of users, uh, viewers had to come along for the, the ride on that. Right. It was very much a part of how uh, I was starting to translate how images uh, belonged in the context of a story. Um, and now it feels like as I did a lot of traversing in preparation for this conversation of uh, 360 and uh, virtual reality and uh, other immersive forms, it feels to me as a as a viewer and somebody who's not really creating in the medium like um there's there's some new language um mm-hmm. that we need to start to build uh between viewers and makers is that right does yeah, it, does I that mean, feel like where we are right now
0: well I mean I kind of want to go back to one thing that he was saying about about YouTube yeah um you know it's interesting to hear you talk about YouTube because um YouTube is, as opposed to other platforms, right, mm-hmm. um, If like television and such, there are executives that decide what is going to be broadcast, right, and what's going to be shown to the audience and when things are on. YouTube is watching you watch it. Mm-hmm. It's literally seeing what it is you're watching, and at the end of that, you watch that YouTube video, at the end, there's those 10, 12 frames of what you can watch next, right. right? and. Um, Those are based on what you've seen, partially just now, but it's also based on your history with the platform. Mm -hmm. Um, And it starts to watch you and and make decisions, and the algorithm is studying you, but it's also proposing things to you that are not based on what you've seen, but on people like you. Mm -hmm. So it actually knows something about what it's starting to try to categorize you, the same way that advertisers try to model whom their target audiences are and such. you know and that's that's how they monetize it right they they realize who do we have here on the end of this string what what fish is 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 jiggling at the end of this yeah. fishing line and you know one of the interesting things for me <laughs> um i discovered something weird and dark about my own personality by looking watching what youtube was throwing back at me and i'm you know i don't know, I guess you know you guys decide but i come i think i'm a reasonably you know sort of not renaissance man but like i try to be educated and and yeah. you know aware of the world and that kind of stuff and and try to be pretty highbrow
1: <laughs> you're wearing a scarf what? indoors oh so, no, that's so. that, that's because was, it was cold outside and and, and
0: and i live in paris where everybody wears a <laughs> right. scarf indoors right. so i just took it off right um, but uh <laughs> no but anyway um one out of or two out of out of those out of those squares um is are about like dangerous crosswind landings at airports. Right. Which I'm like, what? Why? Yeah. But I But it's about big airplanes that are landing in like bad weather and could potentially crash. Right? Wow. Sometimes they have fireballs associated yeah. with the thumbnail images and I'm like I'm like, that is just disturbing. What the hell? <laughs> and click. Click. Yeah. Absolutely. And it knows that knows something about me that like I, you know, I'm a guy, I, I like big metal objects. It's figured out that I'm that I somehow I, I like that the, the I, I can't help but not click. And then right. of course because I've clicked, it shows me more and more and more. Right. And it feeds this 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 it knows that it can keep me around for another couple minutes and yeah. watch a couple more ads if, if they put that content in there. And well, it and it's in a weird way it's now shaped an interest I didn't have before. For in yeah you know
1: dangerous wind, d- dangerous triple s- landings of triple sevens at JFK right um, but what's <laughs> what's powerful about that I think is to start to think about once once we're done milking uh, what's valuable about that from a commercial perspective I think it's neat to start to think about <clears throat> you as a student at Northwestern and somebody who is s- studying science deeply right. And you're on a platform that you know maybe it's YouTube-like, um, but you're checking out stuff that you're interested in uh, from with a with a sort of science frame, right? But um, to have an engine that might actually grab you and say, you know, there's a field called science communication where uh, journalists are learning to to talk about science and and tell people stories from the world of science. Um, that's exciting to me is to think about how um, sort of discovery engines uh, that have really been built for advertising and connecting you know uh, people with commercial things um, could very easily be uh Reprogrammed to help you figure out a, a pathway that's going to uh, satisfy both the, your passion for the things that you're really interested in as a learner, and your want to actually have a career and and uh, eventually put some food on the table and have your own place and do those kinds of things. So
0: yeah, but they can be deceptive. Like you yeah.
1: know, like you were saying, like you,
0: you 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 like video games, and so therefore you think you might want to be a, a a guy who writes code for video games, yeah. right. but What you actually have to really like is writing code. Right. Right. Because that's what it is at the end of the day. You know, if you you like movies, um, you know, what is it about the movies that you like? Is it, you know, it's probably not going out and getting coffee or in your case, as you're saying beer Mm -hmm. for a bunch of, you know. (laughs) People that shouldn't be drinking beer on 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 set, set right? Right. Um, so it's it's. I, I think you have to figure out what is it that you want out of it. Why is it that you you know? If, if, I think that's that, that coming back to that moment of when the light turns on and what what when, what you, when you figure out who you are and what you like to do. Mm-hmm. And you have to you have to ask yourself a number of really hard questions in that moment, um, because every step you do take does take you down a road somewhere, yep, right? Sure. If you decide that you're going to take that that gap year, and um, you know, you 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 decide. Oh, I do need to make some money, so I'm going to go be- work as a work in you know I don't know as a in a grocery store. That's going to lead you to something else in the grocery store. Yeah. Right. Um. So you have to be be vigilant in that moment, I think, and figure out why it is that you're doing something and what it is that you like about it. Yep. Sometimes you know, and that's a luxury, right? Not all of us have those choices, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I know I had a I had jobs that I that I did when I was before anybody. You know, paid me to be creative or anything like that that I didn't like, mm. and I did them because I had to and 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 and, and such. But you know, it's sometimes you get those opportunities that that um, you know where you can learn through doing something or you can yeah. you know, practice it and, and refine it and hone it, and that's that's what's what's exciting. I mean, you know, I used to, so so. Coming out of Northwestern, I I knew at that point that I wanted to be in documentary. I ended up knocking on the doors of a, of, of of you know some people whose work I respected that were documentary filmmakers in, in the San Francisco Bay Area and uh, and said I'm you know uh, just let me in. I just, I just you know and I ended up I was in the back room folding cardboard boxes and painting walls and whatever. But I was about, I was at least around it. Mm-hmm. And um, uh you know, then something came into the shop, and I was the intern, right? Um, and I had an internship every summer in in, 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 in when I was in college, um, just to be around it like that and um, and then you know, it's a small shop. So they get another project. They don't have any staff on it. They know that I'm a film student, that I have some skills. They've seen my work from school. They said, well, why don't you go to to San Francisco airport and these Kosovo Albanian refugees are arriving. Why don't you film it just in case it's something that we might want to turn into a film? Mm -hmm. It's like, okay. Thank you. <laughs> so there I am, you know, with a giant camera on my shoulder in among everybody else that's like a professional journalist from the press corps and, you know, sharp elbows start flying into my ribs and ruining my shot. And I'm just like, what the hell is that? You know, I, yeah. I, I learned something about the medium and then standing up for myself or getting a shot or the dynamics of how it is that you convince somebody, uh, especially there's something in nonfiction, how do you convince somebody who's who's – coming through something really an intense experience in in a life to to trust you and to open up Mm -hmm. to tell your story, to their story to you. Um, You know, and these are things that you only learn by doing them and being around them. And and these opportunities come along where you're like, you know, you have to find yourself in the right time and the right place to some extent, but there's a lot of chance involved, but there's not a lot of chance involved in finding places where those opportunities are possible, right? You have to be ready for the opportunities that come up. So that's and it sort of slowly started building a career there, and and you know they started to real, I mean, and then and then I went back to school, and I finished, and I you know again I got a job right out of university, where I was just I was I was working on my own film at the, in the background. I sort of stayed around the university for a couple months to sort of try to finish it, and in order to do that, I I took a job. I think it was, it's funny now in VR, but I was working for for these people that were doing these scans of of these. Um, buddhist caves in china and they were there was, mm. they were they were they were taking photos of the walls like hundreds of photos of the walls and then like I, it was my job to glue them together in photoshop into these giant files mm. and so i did that for 14 hours a day or 10 or 8 hours a day and just went out of my mind i was just, i mean it was, it was beautiful stuff to look at but you know you sort of start, it's for the, the first, same work for the, the first, first monk that's sitting there going nuts you know right. painting wow. a thousand buddhas you're gluing them together and stitching them and you know all this stuff um and i realized I, this is not what i want to be doing mm. i do not want to be the the technician the photoshop tech in this thing i just really don't and i yeah. called up my um the guy that i'd interned for and i said you know it was like thanksgiving time i came home actually for thanksgiving to my folks uh and again there was that that i said earlier that pressure to you gotta you gotta come out and have a career right and at some point when i started you know there was a moment in in in, in where it became clear that i was going to go down the film road uh in school and you know to my parents credit they didn't interfere right with that choice mm. um they may have internally in the back of their heads thought, uh, "Okay, he's going to be living at home for the right, rest of right, his life." But it right. was it was also at that point, you know, the contract. Nobody, t- we didn't talk about this. I mean, like you know, in any explicit sense with my with my parents. But in my mind was when I made that choice of I'm going to take this risk. I was going to prove. I was very earnest in proving to them that I can make a living doing this. Mm. Right? I can I can do it um, because I care about it. I'm, ha- I'm going to. It's going to make me happy. So. Um, I but I wasn't happy doing that. I knew that, um, and I was sort of like you know, like what have I done? Mm-hmm. Um, and I came back and, and over Thanksgiving sort of said to the guy that I had met that I had interned for. I said, you know, I don't know if you hear anything back in the Bay Area. I'm just really miserable. It's it's not I'm not happy. Um, and then like beginning of December, <laughs> he get, uh, my phone rings, and he's on the other end of the line. He says. Um, my assistant just quit, and my editor is on, on six weeks of mental health leave. I know that you can edit, and you know you can read emails, you can do emails and stuff like that. Uh, how soon can you be here? we'll just sort of try you out in yeah. the shop. Wow. And like nowadays, if somebody, you know, says their assistant just quit and somebody else is on mental health, a lot of people would say run in the opposite direction. But I knew that this is what I wanted to do. And this guy literally, you know, I got in my hands in the shop and I and the six weeks turned into, you know, three months turned into six months turned into turned into years. Mm. Um, And, you know, the one skill led to the next. And, yeah, I was there and I I was the guy that, you know, he was really old school Um, and he uh, (laughs) he. I did his email for him mm. meaning that like he I don't think he even knew how to type <laughs> he dictated I don't think he even knew how to type um, wow. and so he would he would literally I would print out his emails for him in the morning and he would then scribble on them in chicken scratch like completely indecipherable stuff and then I would sit there and type them <laughs> okay. up
1: print that out okay. have him approve I it was, and then send I was right? picturing a more uh, I was picturing him with a stogie like <laughs> Max take this down yeah, well, and then like dictating no no it. no, no. It, wasn't, <laughs> it, wasn't,
0: it wasn't quite like that but you know he, he, he was I mean he's a He's a he's someone that like you know, to me as the father figure in, yeah. in so many ways, and I learned a lot from him. His name is Bill Jersey, and he was one of the guys in, that was like in 1968, really inventing cinema verite. Amazing, right? Um, and so that's you know that's 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 who I pursued when I wanted that internship. I wanted to be around that level of of, of documentary yeah. storytelling, um, and then you know. Uh, When you're when you're helping somebody write their email, essentially, you you kind of this weird sort of passive node to all of their communication with the entire industry and you're seeing stuff crossing your desk and, you know. Uh, I mean, your job is to be a vault, yeah. but but you you see the the you have a, you're observing, you're learning. I mean, I was learning every day there. Yeah. It was, you know, the company was called called Quest Productions, but the joke was it's Quest University. I mean, it was like it was a whole nother level of education right. that came in that environment of really learning. And then, you know, um he knew that I that I did did editing, and there was another project that came again and again, and I would do some editing. You know, I, I wasn't just a guy doing his email. I, I was doing that. I was mm-hmm. doing. I was going out on shoots. I was I was getting to be inside that machine, and because it was documentary and not fiction, um, you know, it was a small team. Yeah, right. And you got I got my hands on it in a. in in a way and then suddenly at some point they realized i was more valuable to them as an editor um Mm. that they didn't have to pay a lot um because i loved it so much um that you know it was a waste of of (laughs) of 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 their money to have me at the keyboard doing excel and, and email um and i and i ended up you know literally in the editor's chair and i and i would be in the edit room um and I was like, now, like early twenties, just right out of out of school. But um, you know, it, they, uh, I within within a couple of years, I had my hands on. I think the first thing I edited for Bill was uh, we were in the same building as Saul Zantz. This is the guy that did yeah. the, the producer behind the English Patient. Mm-hmm. One flew over the Cuckoo's Nest, the movie Amadeus. Crazy. Like this was the building we were in in, in the Bay Area, um, and it was sort of a creative community of of people, and. Um, one day the phone rings and i pick it up and i'm you know say hello i'm the assistant and it's Saul Zance and i'm like <laughs> wow. of course mr zance yes and i put him through to bill and we got a project into the shop to do the making of um for the director's cut release of amadeus the oh, movie cool. right and um and bill was, and but it wasn't uh, there wasn't you know it was sort of a uh, a favor and bill bill kind of we had we had there was another big project that, that we had in the shop that was with somebody else and so bill sort of said max why don't you start digging into this and eventually i and i you know i went out on the, on the on the shoots and we interviewed all the actors and we made a one hour long film about the making of the movie amadeus and it was that first time we could we could ask we asked miller's foreman any question we wanted like a a film student's dream, like to be around that guy and ask him about the process of making that movie. I can only imagine. It was so cool, and then I got to go into do the do the archives and um, dig through the film rushes for stories that had been told, and we found like scenes that had been cut and deleted and I don't know it was just it was magic. And then another another uh, you know, another moment, we're looking through the old costume sketches where they designed all this stuff, like the hand drawn sketches. And you know, everyone that worked on that movie won an Academy Award. That was movie gonna got say, eight Academy Awards and I'm yeah. literally like digging through this stuff that just is literally in a dusty storage locker somewhere and in you know, almost forgotten about. That's crazy. And it was it was it was a magical experience for me. And then, you know, Everybody else in the shop said, oh, well, he can edit. Well hand, you know, or I would work with Bill and I would be working on a scene and he'd say, No, that's absolute garbage. Yeah. Just take that out, take this out, take that out. That's necessary. This isn't you know, it's somebody like you know, that, that teacher with a red pen drawn all over your yeah. work and you feel terrible about yourself afterwards yeah. and you kinda of go, Oh crap, well am depressing. Had, <laughs> somebody just shredded what I did. But then you know, you, you you get distance from it because you know you're not so close to it anymore and you come back the next day and you look at it and you go, oh, Actually that makes a lot of sense. Right. And then you learn that's again another step in learning. You you're yep. Constantly learning how to tell a story, so you know that's where I learned what storytelling was. Yep. What that you don't have to start the story at the beginning. That you don't have to have all this exposition. Sometimes you want to get right into the story. Yep. Um, you know all those techniques of, of um, you know Bill always had these had these sayings that you know, um, you know you have to if you can hook an audience with in with informa- with you, you can't hook an audience with information because that's a lecture. Yeah. Right, you have to hook them with the, the emotional first, yeah. and make them care. And it doesn't have to make sense; it can confuse them actually. But they, but if the, it's if it's startling or amaz- amazing, then and then you, and then you can you back up and you unpack it and you, and you put that back in. All those things are stuff that you learn from 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 people. Yeah. So you don't you're not born with that right. ever. And I'm still learning stuff. I mean, I'm, you know, now in virtual reality, where you know, last two years we were in a medium where all the rules none of those rules applied yep or seemingly didn't apply you know you look at early virtual reality stuff and you're back to the days of somebody having you know a movie camera that you know they're using to record railroad track. That's not a story. Right. You know it's security camera footage, yep. right? It's just to turn on and, and people are saying, well, we can't edit that footage because we don't know where the audience is looking. And you know they have so much agency and freedom in that space that it's not a medium where there is a director or where a story can be told because the audience is telling their own story. Well, it's true. Yeah, we've given the audience a huge amount of freedom in virtual reality to look where they want to look. Right? In cinema, we we sort of create those those intercut scenes of a conversation of the person listening, the person talking the, yeah. the nodding back and forth the two shot that we've created to tell the audience where they're looking um, in in virtual reality that all of that over to the audience to decide where they're gonna look in the in the space around them mm-hmm. um, but you know we had to sort of figure out what is the grammar of controlling that again like how do you in order to, in order to tell a story or to be an author in that sense right you have to it, it's about controlling you know, it's all about decisions of what to remove or, 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 or guidance or shaping. You, you, you know, a photographer puts a frame around something. It's not just reality, right? It, there's a,
2: he decided where those edges were, and yeah. all of those decisions matter. Chris, what do you got? So um, I was just wondering, um, because as far as the situation I'm in right now, um, you know, paing around the city, everything's great when I'm working and, and when I'm in that zone and like you said being around it is just a privilege within itself because that's you know that's the passion but um I was just wondering when when you were my age how did you deal with the or if you had any how did you deal with the self-doubt or how did you deal with the the notion that this may not work and what made you still push forward with it because sometimes i find myself struggling with trying to convince myself that this is what i want to do even though i know for a fact that this is the career i want to make sometimes i i doubt if if i have what it takes to to get to that point or to get to a point that you're at Uh, you know self-doubt
0: means that you're that you're pushing yourself i like i i think you know, right now in virtual reality, the last project we did, we got the assignment. I didn't know how we were going to do it. Right. Just, n- not, not in terms of, um, you know, like technically or something like that. I, I just didn't know how, how to approach the subject. I had all this doubt about, you know, how on earth are we going to take virtual reality and make it tell a story about this subject matter? And mm. we didn't know. Like that, but in a strange way, that's what I love about what we're doing now, mm. right. is that I don't, I don't know the answer going in. And that's exciting. Right. right that's that i know that what you're saying about dad is a little bit different um but at some point you also develop this trust in yourself part of um my sort of real under uh, formative time in storytelling was that my first real job you know out of out of that sort of being an assistant thing is i ended up in editing mm-hmm. and in editing you're it's your job to take all the Crap that the producers did on set mm-hmm. while drinking beer. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, and turn it into something that people are actually going to want to watch. You know, it's sometimes there were there were so many jobs I had where I literally you get locked into a room like about this size with no windows, right? Um, with a bunch of crap that you got to turn into something that you know a million people are going to watch on TV, and you kind of go, oh my god! And it, it, the the only thing that I can Related to is that despair that um, you know the the fairy tale Rumpelstiltskin mm. where the where the where the yeah. Miller's daughter gets locked into the into the into the into the chamber with a bunch of hay and she's supposed to somehow spin it into gold yeah. Yeah. and by morning the king's going to come and if you don't yeah. do it off with your head yeah. um, at some point you, you you know you're desperate in there and y- you need to realize that there is no little dwarf that's going to come along you just have to start dealing with the hay right, mm-hmm. right? right. and somehow through your hands this is going to turn into something yeah. and you just have to start chucking away at it yeah. and 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 you know uh, at some point you realize you wouldn't be there if you didn't have the the way out of that right. situation and you just need to invent it and 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 or find the, the idea and not give up right it, 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 doubt and persistence are really kind of tied um, but you know I and if you and it, but, but this way if, if you realize that it's not for you that's not bad Right. You know, Everything in, in your life is, is kind of like a test. It's like, is this what I'm interested in? You know, it's like you're in, the, you're in the ice cream store. Is this the flavor I like? No, I don't like that. I want mm. a different one. It's okay to change, but if you find yourself also changing too much and constantly just being addicted to change, you need to also realize, well, actually, you know, I need to figure out what it is I want to do. Right. Yeah. I need to become persistent about something. And that's where passion comes in right right like that that balance between doubt and no i want to figure this out i want to be able to do it and then and if you if it's not working you need to figure out why always ask yourself why why isn't it working or what what is it that i you know what's the what's the missing element and eventually you'll figure it out um i think i don't know thank you yeah, I I, <laughs> I, know, I I hope that didn't, doesn't sound like, you know, like a bunch of a bunch of kind of things that people in Might my shoes make, say to people in your shoes. Uh, but sense. it's it it's true. You know, it you have. I mean, like, I remember I, I you know, back when I was that kid listening to Robert Siegel uh, yeah. tell an amazing story. And then, you know, two years ago, I met the guy I, and and I and I met him in a professional context, not as a peer because nobody's that guy's peer but i watched him working and was able to i was working in the same space as him and i was still amazed and i and I, you know it was like you know here's here's like one of those heroes of your life that you're suddenly sort of able to, to again ask a question of and, yeah. and engage with and get thoughtful answers from it was amazing to me
2: that is fascinating
0: so you know it, it, you know it, it's just a matter of you know you hone your craft you learn stuff you get better at it and eventually that gets you somewhere right and it's really you know we're not we're not music video makers we're not Filmmakers, or you know, radio producers, or whatever. The, you know, those are those are job titles. Right. At the end of the day, we're story, We're all of us are storytellers. We just tell them in different spaces and have gotten good at certain kinds of things mm-hmm. and built reputations for them. And that's usually based on you know where are you going next? What is this leading to? What is where? What, what's the the next step out? You know, mm-hmm. even at my point now in my career, like sometimes you get you get offered jobs that you kind of go like, I can do this, sure. Um, it's probably. Sometimes they're really well paid. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, there was there was a time you would have jumped. But would. Yeah. But 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 then you look at them and like, well, what does this lead to?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like you know, sometimes you know, nowadays I get offered stuff to go and fix somebody's broken film. and I'm like, well, I can do that. But that's their bro- that's their film that I'm fixing. It's not my film. Mm. And if I need to decide whether or not I should be doing that, or if I should be investing in developing a new idea of my own, mm, that's a that's a tough one. Sometimes mm, right. you know, sometimes you decide to do it because you need the money. Um, um, but sometimes you'd say, you know what, I'm going to say no. Like there was a number of, of points when, when virtual, virtual reality started to happen three, four years ago where I took a lot of risk and said, I'm, I, I can see where, what's going to happen in the beginning of 2016 when these headsets come out. And I want to be a part of that. Um, and I was, you know, trying to convince people at National Geographic and other places to, to do something in VR. And to be ready for it, and I saw it coming, and I got a lot of pats on the back, and it was really frustrating. I almost gave up. I actually did give up, you know. And mm-hmm. then, because I had done all that legwork, when they then signed the contract with somebody that was willing to pay for them to do it, mm-hmm. uh, my phone rang, you know,
2: yeah.
0: um, and and you know, whole whole craziness came from there. But it was about you know, I could have I could have taken jobs that would have kept had me busy in that window instead, making a TV show that. I already saw coming as like I don't know that that's more more. I've done that. Yeah, I've done that, and I've I've I I know how to do that. I can do it well, but I don't see that that leads me where I want to be going next. Right? You gotta you gotta stay curious about where you where are you going? What are you doing next? And being and and keeping that that as your you know. If I'm busy, if if I had been busy. In the beginning of 2016, because I'd given up and had been working on some sort of, you know, I think what I I think had on offer some at that point was a TV show about like, I don't know, the Titanic or something, like some Mm. subject that had been done to death. Mm. There was nothing really new to say. The ship sinks, (laughs) and and I could have been working on that, and had had to say, I'm sorry, I can't take on this pipeline of 20 virtual reality films Mm -hmm. for you because I'm busy with a job. Mm-hmm. That would have hurt so much. And yeah, it was a lot of risk and it was a tough decision to make. And, right. you know, you kind of go oh. You know, and the other people in your life kind of hopefully are supportive of you taking those risks. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have a partner that says, yeah, don't worry about it. I have a job or something like that.
1: Um, the the, um, the understanding that Self doubt and and that the the doubt in one's head is will always be there is right. a thing that comes. Sadly, you, there's no choice but to sound old in saying this, but uh, is a thing that comes with age. Unfortunately, you suddenly realize, like, oh wait, you know, like. 5 years ago uh we couldn't put food on the table now we now we're complaining about something else and I'm doubting whether I can actually get this done um and there's a point where you realize like um, you you will always wonder at one point at one point somebody's going to come and and sort of call you out for uh being a fraud in some some uh way because in the back of your head you're always thinking like I want it to be the thing. Now I'm the thing. Am I the thing? Uh, mm-hmm. Am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I think it sticks around. But, but uh, the way, Max, you were saying, I think it, it is, uh, um, it can be a healthy thing if uh, you don't let it take over, but you let it um, fuel, uh, fuel you enough that it always tips you into uh, pushing yourself to the next thing. And wanting to do more. Can we um, – let's, let's uh, pivot a little bit. And uh, one of the notes you made not that long ago is about how, uh, in you know, whatever tool set uh, you become uh, versed in, at the end of the day, you're a storyteller. And I'm curious about where you are right now. Uh, with respect to uh, VR and uh, 360 storytelling and, and um, do you feel like uh, the, the more immersed viewers get um, the harder it is to tell a story or do you feel like stories are getting better?
0: Both, I think.
1: Right, um, and this comes from this
0: weird conundrum of like when you have limits set that you sort of forced to invent and, and figure out what it is that you're good at. I mean, the, um, I was at a conference about VR recently, and you know, um, there's a there's the, at the beginning of a new technology, there's a lot of excitement about it, just about the fact that it exists. Right, mm-hmm. moving pic- we had like back when they I keep going back to the moving picture, but like oh my god, we have moving photographs. Mm-hmm. Isn't that so cool? but quickly you start to ask the question about what are you trying to say with this Mm -hmm. right what you know you have to evolve that away from just footage of railroad track to you know i mean look at the history of early cinema they 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 did footage of railroad track then it was these sort of exotics these postcards from around the world showing you slow pans of the port of Shanghai the Taj Mahal all this stuff right and then along come these sort of um, films that look like films of stage plays and you know but all the proportions are the same they literally like project it on onto a vaudeville yeah. stage at the same scale and people have to be the exact height of a person and there are no edits and people are just acting out scenes on a right. flat screen that's projected it's just like a play you know but eventually somebody comes along and invents editing and invents the close up, right, where now that head is 20 feet tall, yeah. which makes no sense. But people start to understand that grammar and eventually you get to Citizen Kane and you get to Buster Keaton and you get to, you know, Dorothy and the Ruby Slippers. You have color, you have, you know, then you get to super widescreen. You have Lawrence of Arabia, you have and eventually you end up at Star Wars. And, you know, the, it, it, that, that medium evolves and how we tell a story and the pace and editing and all this, the, it, 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 it constantly gets reinvented and, and becomes a much richer, richer medium. Um, I think in virtual reality, a lot of that stuff still needs to be figured out. Yeah. We're still, we're, we're just past railroad track, right? And there's a lot of folks in the space that are like excited by the fact that we can have a, you know, we have a moving picture. Wow, yeah. you know, we have an image that surrounds you in 360 degrees. So what, uh, what are you trying to say with it? And so when we came into it, uh, my partner and I on this, on this pro, on, in, in Black Dot, you know we, we're coming from a storytelling standpoint and knowing from that adaption point of of you know how do we adapt our background was in, in in documentary and television and all that how do you adapt something we read in the new yorker into it how do you turn that into a television program and 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 now the same thing question is how do you turn it into vr and what is and ultimately it comes down to knowing what vr is good at right there's a lot of stuff that shouldn't be a vr film it just will never work mm-hmm. um you know uh if you think about it in sort of National Geographic wildlife story terms, you know, that, that zebra and lion chase with you intercut the zebra running and the lion running and the zebra running, the lion running, the zebra, and then eventually they kill each other mm-hmm. or one kills the other and eats it, right? Um, in in the In the way it's shown on TV, that's... It's super exciting and all of that, but um, it's filmed with 300 millimeter lenses, telephoto lenses that like, you know, shoot the, the, that that is 300 yeah. feet or more away, you know, and then you realize that this is completely constructed in the edit room, right? You yeah. know how the soup's made, like those were six different lions and 10 different zebras mm-hmm. shot mm-hmm. over the course of three months, mm-hmm. right? In probably three different meadows. Yeah. But then, then an editor decided, well, should the zebra trip or not? Or which, you know, does this look like it could be this you know, the mm-hmm. same zebra? And it gets turned into a scene that we then believe, and it's, it's true because this Happens out there, but it's a representation of a bigger truth than, than you know, all the pieces that came to put it together. That won't yeah. ever work in VR because in VR you can't edit that way, right? The audience is 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 the one that just that. You, every time we edit in VR, we're changing the biggest screen on the planet. It's the biggest jump cut, like mm. you know. So we can't create a moment that didn't really happen. And on top of that, we don't have telephoto lenses, right? So we're there with a human perception scale of, of where the sweet spot for humans is about, you know, three feet. Is, is, anything closer than that is, feels too close when we back yeah. up. Yeah. Or, 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 you know, the furthest stuff is about 15 feet. And, and that's the same thing with VR. So if we were trying to tell that story, that, z- that z- lion would have to kill that zebra in front of the camera. And, you know, animals
1: don't like to... Kill, take, take direction kill each other <laughs> well, no, but they, they, they don't they don't they don't they
0: you can't really pay them to do stuff they right? they're not actors right. so you know there's stuff that doesn't work in vr um and but there's other things that VR is incredibly good at um and figuring those out and figuring out you know a lot of one of the things we figured out in the last couple of years is is how to induce the audience to do editing for us in mm. the space because you know if that that intercut scene of two people at a, at the at a table talking to each other, you know the editor is deciding where the audience should look. But well, Now the audience is deciding where to look. Um, but if we can make the audience look where we want them to look by using uh, other influences on them, you know, we are humans, right? And we actually look to other humans to know where to look and how yeah. to react in a space and what's dangerous, what's not, where to look, where they hear something, where somebody else heard something to turn their head that, that attracts their attention. Yeah. But now, we've gotten to a point where we can actually um, – with like ninety ninety five percent accuracy, predict where people are going to look. Yeah. In a in a in a VR film, um, and we know that there's whole zones they're never going to see, but we have to have something there, of course. But you know, um, you can't have a black yeah. hole there. But almost nobody
1: looks there. i Give give a um, a very cool example. I was checking out. Uh, you did an amazing project on um, that covered the uh, scientists who are working on preserving the canopies. Um, this giant sequoias, f- the giant sequoias, yeah. And I was totally in it. Mm. And there's a moment where they get to the top of the canopy, and uh, one of the scientists sort of says into the camera, "Like, just look at that." And for a moment, I was just kind of staring at her, like uh, it. It didn't dawn on me that she was talking to me, that there was a direction I could actually click and see the view that she was looking at.
0: Yeah, which, I think that moment she's actually there's two of them, and they're, I think they may in the moment have been talking to each other, but they're just sort of stunned by the thing at the end. But the, but the point is, you're, you're look, up there
1: with them. Yeah, I was right? with you're them.
0: You're sharing in that experience, and
1: um and I had to go back and click again, and I actually turned the camera around and looked at what the person with the camera was looking at or what. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, their your, back I back mean, was against in, in your experience. You're looking at it on a laptop or something like that on, yeah. on YouTube, and you know it's
0: it ultimately it's designed for. I mean, we have to. It's designed for being in headset. Sure. Right? And when you're in headset, a lot of those clicking and looking around, there's you don't actually have to click and do it. You do it instinctively. Yeah. We're relying
1: on, on, on that person to to to, to yeah. sort of help you see things. Yeah. Um, but there was definitely um, in that moment, it was fascinating for me because it felt like. Uh, it, it was a it was a great moment in some ways it revealed some of what's clunky about the the track that we're mm. that're laying down and and um, in other ways there was all this enormous potential uh mm-hmm. you know and obviously I started to think about what it means for learners and and uh in in um, in that environment but especially from a um from a filmmaker's perspective, it also started to speak to the language of film and how that needs to be uh, not reinvented, but uh, there ne- we need to start to add some um, uh, uh, s- new chapters to, and uh, and that's pretty remarkable.
0: Yeah, there's 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 actually a book. If you're interested in in if anybody who's seriously interested in film and understanding it why it works the way it does you have to kind of i kind of always suggest people that want to start a career in film to start in the edit room um even if you want to be a cameraman start Mm in the edit room because it determines how you frame things how you you know when you're in it when you're an editor you spend your entire time when you're in that that little room by yourself yelling at the screen yeah like pan to the left no no oh shit you lost it (laughs) sorry i might i don't know if i I swore there um and so you know that there's a book that everybody that wants to be an editor should read. It's called In the Blink of the In, In the Blink of an Eye uh, by Walter Murch, Great. and it's about the theory of editing and why the grammar of editing works. It's sort of um, you know, the, if you want to be a writer, there's a book called On Writing Well that everyone should read. Um, but do you do you think the grammar and technique of it? Do you and think it,
1: that there's a new chapter to that book that needs to be written? Well. With respect to the work you're doing now? Yeah, because,
0: because now, you know, rather than doing it for the audience and the audience being passive, right, which right. is what you do when you're in a movie theater and you're sitting in your chair and it's being done for you, um, or when you're sitting on your couch and watching television, mm. we're asking the audience to do it for us. And so we're now finding ways to make the audience do that editing, make them look over here, make them look back, make them... And, if, and, the, and the, the catch for us is if we don't do it, um, we lose control over where the audience is looking, which means we're losing control over the, over the narrative, which means that we're giving you sort of stuff that's too raw to be interesting. Mm. In, in the sense that, you know, we still are human creatures and we, we like stories that are, that are told, right? Um, otherwise, it becomes too existential and we all have our own reality to experience. And, mm-hmm. and reality is, you know, d- drama has, has shape, Right. There's the comic curve and the tragic curve when we're talking about in literature. Right. You know, climbing action, you get to an apex and and then the, you know, the tragedy Mm -hmm. sets in and you end up failing or or in in comedy, you know, the guy starts out. okay, he gets himself into trouble and has to work himself back out. Mm -hmm. Right. That's the that's the differences in those two. And then there's sort of existential reality, which is just flat, you know, most of most things just, you know, the the sun comes up the next day. It's still the same thing. And you keep going. And that's reality. Um, so you need to shape reality into drama in order to make it what we can, as humans consider to be entertainment, be that theater, be that writing, be that literature, be that poetry. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to give shape to raw material. Mm-hmm. So if if to bring that to VR, yeah, you're kind of working with one hand behind tied behind your back because you let the audience, you give them a lot of agency. You're giving them a lot of control over the space, essentially. and. You know, you could put them in 360 and they could be pacing, facing the wrong direction and miss something really important to the story um, that you really want them to see. So you got to make sure that they're looking where you want them to look. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've been doing a lot of studying. We, we actually... Um, because when we work with National Geographic there's a number of eyeballs that we get on these things uh, Facebook actually gets this heat map data of where everybody's looking in the, in the 360 film so we literally know where the eyeballs are mm-hmm. and that sort of helped us discover that people are actually picking up on on interesting things to decide where to look so one of those things is, is if there's a, another person in the film with them, um, where that person looks is where People end up looking, meaning mm-hmm. they're looking to the other person and they're, they're seeing their gaze is to the left or the right. Then they'll look where that guy is looking. Mm-hmm. Um, there's other things that, that, that help just move people's eyeballs around. One of them is color, right? One of them is the movement of the camera. We tend to want to, as humans, um, look where we're going. It's really just evolutionary, right? We don't want to fall over something. So if the camera is moving in one direction or the other, it it helps pull people around to look in a certain place. Now, when we have that, you know, in VR now, we have the the edits become much longer, right? Because people are editing inside of each scene, but we need to predict where they are by the end of that Mm -hmm. 30, 40 second shot, so that when we then have the next shot that's edited in there, we don't lose this 3 to 5 seconds
1: where people need An to figure experience. out where they're supposed to be looking right
0: uh, and reorient themselves and kind of figure it out all over again. Great
1: example there was there was I was looking at the hammerheads project. Yeah. And there's that moment where if you're not turned around where the hammerhead comes and at one point puts its mouth around the the camera well there's a, there's an there's an earlier there's an earlier moment than that in the in the in the in the piece you know that, maybe that, i missed
0: it um, well there's i mean it some some of, of the stuff you know you're watching and you think oh i'm watching a movie and you don't realize really what we're ha- what's happening yeah. to you all the yeah. time so the film starts in 360 there's a diver in front of you and he's looking at you and you fall through the water yeah. surface with him and he swims down and um, the water is empty. You're supposed to be watching full-blown sharks. There's no sharks. Yep. And so you're looking, scanning around the water, and so is he. Um, And you look to him where to look. So he looks over in a certain direction. And so you end up looking there. Um, And then we know where you're looking in the next shot, right? It's over there. Then we lead you to a certain point where you're looking into this empty water and you start to see something blurry and fuzzy in that water. So you actually look harder in that spot. Um, And the words take focus and they say turn around yeah at which point we've made you look there in the meantime behind you (laughs) a shark has swum up that when you then realize you're supposed to turn around it's that horror movie cut of a shark a face full of shark right just bam right in your face and most people jump out of their out of their skin people watch that in headset and they go holy Oh, I didn't yeah. even need a headset. Right. Um, and, and you jump because you go, whoa, yeah. that, that snuck up on me.
1: Now, yeah,
0: 5% of the people, if you, if you watch that same sh- footage, and we hadn't put those words in, you know, people are scanning around, spinning yeah. around, doing whatever. No, they're actually, they see the shark swim up. And it's oh. actually a totally different experience. They're like, oh, there's a shark coming there. Oh, it's coming closer. Oh, it's, oh look like, at that. Oh, that's this a, thing's going to eat a the cool camera. shark. It swam right past me. <laughs> and you have no emotional, wow, whoa, pop moment. Right? So we're essentially in that moment. Found a way to induce them to edit by by not we're not just giving them instruction to turn around to say look over there yeah. because it, it, it's actually look here there's words you look more what are the words saying you're 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 actually we're actually pulling them over there sort of the way that like you know a magician on a stage is doing like you know he has the the pretty girl or whatever so he doesn't yeah. you don't see the elephant being made disappear right yeah. like yeah. he distracts your eye that forcing the eye we we there's techniques like that that, yeah. that we start to use to literally get the audience to to decide what they should be looking at in the film
1: yeah um
2: does that does that chris feel to you at all like um games that you've played absolutely absolutely um i don't have a virtual reality console or anything like that but there are um virtual reality it kind of reminds me of like first person games it's almost like like you assume the role and you know it really feels like you're in it and it's yeah, it's extremely interesting. Well, the, the the difference, and this is what I love about it, is,
0: um, you know, uh, we were talking about it earlier, is that there's a, um, in television, we're watching, you know, we watch the Olympics on TV. Uh-huh. That That's one program that's being sent out to the country, right? And we are very much aware of that as the audience. That we're watching that together. There's a lot of us watching this event yeah. together, especially live sports and things like that. Mm. And it's this... You know the relationship is is defined by that. Um, In virtual reality, there's an intimacy Mm. uh, that is unlike anything else. Um, You're really looking uh, that that the the subject of the film is looking through the screen or through the through is looking at you is seeing you. Right? It's even different than in TV. Um, you know, we did a film about orphaned baby orangutans. Mm. Um, and when an orphaned baby orangutan looks you in the eye in VR, it look, or look, it, they're looking at the camera, right? They're looking at something shiny and new in their world that they want to touch and break. And, yeah. you know, uh, poses challenges for us filmmakers. But um, in virtual reality, when you see that in the headset, they're reaching out to you. They're reaching out to touch you. When you watch that same kind of a moment in a TV show, you're very much aware that that's a television screen, the orangutan isn't there in the same space with you, and that the orangutan is there for reaching out to touch the camera. And you go, oh, that camera better be careful. Versus in virtual reality, you say, like, wow, that orangutan actually tried to reach out and touch me. Uh, There's a moment when we were filming with with them there – where one of them looks around to see if like the the, the teachers that that they're, they're in the sanctuary they were trying to teach these orangutans how to be an orangutan a lot of them come from the illegal pet trade and mm. and they're trying to rehabilitate them and some of them don't even know what a tree is they're afraid of climbing and all of that and she's and and so they have these these keepers that are encouraging them and she's looking out to see if she's anybody watching nobody's watching me so she leans in and she puts her lips on the lens right just because she wanted to do that right Mm -hmm. like she saw her own reflection it was like oh this is cool um in virtual reality when you see that you everybody that sees it, oh my god that 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 orangutan just kissed me
1: right
0: and it and it and it and it it didn't it kissed me the grammar of that it's me and and that orangutan i showed that the the film that we did to my mother-in-law over over christmas and um she took off the headset and was in tears i mean because she had bonded with this little creature who had looked her in the eye, and in a way that if she'd watched a television program about
1: that, she would have never been able to, right? Um, there are a lot of so so. Um, this brings up a good um, point, and then I know I know you're you're pressed for time, and I don't want to keep you too long. Um, but there are uh, so there are filmmakers who are um, platforms like TED has been have been great for filmmakers like Chris Milk who. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and others who are doing work for places like the U.N. now. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I've, I've heard more than one, um, you know, uh, friend or colleague, as we're talking about the potential of VR and education, say, yeah, you know, I I, I think that when I look at that stuff that um, that is coming out of filmmakers like, like Chris Milker doing or even the project you just described, mm-hmm. um uh, that that the potential to elicit a uh, empathy and um, and a connection for people to uh, a, a way of learning through their compassion and and uh, is is really what the the biggest potential is. Um, do you feel like that's the case? Do you feel like uh, when we're thinking about what how this tool uniquely might. Uh, fuel learning uh, do you think empathy is the ticket
0: yeah I mean you know Chris Milk calls it I think it was his term it was an, em- an empathy machine that was his TED talk yeah, term yeah um, uh, yeah to a sense but you know so is a really good film I mean you're just trying to get somebody to care
1: mm-hmm.
0: right um, to me it's not em- it's not so much just empathy it's it's Intimacy, in that sense, yeah, it's it's the difference. To be more precise about it, empathy you can generate by showing me sad pictures on a television screen. If you do it well, mm-hmm. a really well made film makes you empathic. Um, what this is about is connection with another individual. The last project we just did um, for National Geographic is is about these soldiers that went through. What something that no human should ever have to go through. They went through some of the, one, one of the most sort of horrific ambushes in in, in that was sort of the beginning of the, the war in Iraq. Really, the after after in that chapter when you know in two thousand four you know Bush had stood in front of a banner that said Mission Accomplished, we've won the war, and mm. you know, look where we are now, right? The war was was only the beginning. Mm-hmm. And there's an inst- a moment in two thousand four um, that Martha Raddatz uh, from ABC uh, wrote a book about. Uh, called The Long Road Home, and it's about this ambush in which these guys that are on their fourth day in country in Iraq um, get overrun by thousands of Mahdi militia in um, in the middle of, of Baghdad and don't even have functioning GPS or in unarmored vehicles and, you know, absolute wow. insanity ens- ensues. Um, and um, you know, National Geographic made a it big. It's out right now. It, um, has made like a big, like seventy million dollar dramatic Hollywood show with Hollywood actors and about it. Um, and we did the companion virtual reality piece. And you know, there was a lot of debate early on what it should be. You know, what could, should it be? Fiction? Should it be not fiction What should? It, what's the goal mm. of it? And we sort of were strong advocates. We're saying no. Let's 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 find the real soldiers that this happened to and mm. try to understand. That reality, that other person's mind uh, mindset, and what really happened to them, and and you know a lot of them have post traumatic stress disorder and 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 all of that, and so in these in this three part series, you're inside their broken memories, um, and it's really fascinating. I mean, even from just a scientific standpoint, there's so much adrenaline running through their brains in those moments of uh, of it that like they can some of their memories make absolutely. Uh, Aren't, are impossible in a way. Like mm. they remember um, sounds that they sh- shouldn't be able to hear or other sounds that they should hear they don't hear. Things that they, they have images where literally it's like an overexposed photograph. They can see half of it, but the other side of it, their brain is blocking out and hiding from them because it was such a, some, something that was so horrific. You know, One guy um, shared this story with us of within minutes of the ambush, suddenly in front of him is standing a child soldier. And wow. he himself is a is a is, is a father. You know, he, he is a two month old at home just before he deployed, and he kind of has to make this decision between the kid's life, his own life, or the life of the guy next to him. And he, you know, makes the impossible choice. And within minutes, uh, or a couple minutes, the 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 boy's father comes out and drags the body away, comes back and picks up the AK forty seven and points it at him. And he kills the father. And then the same thing happens with the grandfather comes out and drags his... I mean, it, it almost sounds like it's not true, right? It sounds like how this, these kinds of stories usually mm-hmm. are, are Are like, you know, you, you hear about them in, in Homer or some kind of poetry or something yeah. like that. But this actually happened. It's real. Um, and he, he... Within a couple of minutes, he's killed three generations of a family. Wow. Uh, you know, and... Uh, uh, you know he hasn't been the same since and um the doubt that he has and all of that and he you know he shared his story with us and and you know that's partially we could tell that story in a documentary we could you know and and the rules of the documentary are that we don't have eye contact with the subject through the camera mm. they sort of always have their heads slightly turned and because it's too confrontational we don't do that on on with television screens but in virtual reality he's standing in front of you and looking you in the eye and you can see pain on his face or the the doubt the scars and the emotional scars and the emotion in him in these intimate portraits that we do as you hear his voice and we did it all you know he told us his story over the course of four hours and an audio on the interview and it's incredibly intimate mm. um you know it has that power of of you know the best of a radio program you know when you're listening to you know npr again and when you're listening to npr and you're in you're in the car and you've driven home and you don't get out of the car because you want to you just want to sit there and yeah listening. It has that power of of really being inside that other person's experience, mm-hmm. and you know that to me was a big discovery of of being able to go from you know looking at our work from f- over the over the last two three years of it evolving from you know oh we can turn the camera on and you can turn around <laughs> um, you know railroad track. Uh, and, and evolving it forward to figuring out how to tell a story that's that complex that has that much nuance in it where you're shifting point of view you're seeing him in a portrait you're time traveling with him where you know we're walking around with him actually in that world of his nightmares and his broken dreams and you know I didn't that was a subject a, a film that I didn't know how to make when yeah. we walked in talked about doubt you know that was one of those like I don't know how to you know I, we did the audio interview first with the guy and I I, I went back to the time and I said this is amazing I, I you know I've never been given a subject quite this incredible but how do you bring that to life how do you
1: turn that into a film and and you figure it out let me ask you this um let's say i'm a 19 year old young uh aspiring (laughs) storyteller what what is what um 360 cameras have become more and more accessible right um do you know? Do you know what it takes to get uh, like if if I wanted to equip myself with like and start telling stories in 360? Uh, what does it cost me to get started? It doesn't
0: cost a lot. I mean, don't don't get hung up on the fact that that you know Steven Spielberg is shooting with you know, a, Pana, a Panavision camera and a giant piece of glass and, you yeah. know, a crew of 120. To, well, he started keep... with a Bolex, right? <laughs> right. But literally, you know, start with something simple where it's not too complicated and not too technical. I mean, I, I you know, I made films when I was in high school with a VHS camera yeah. and, you know, some, some borrowed lights from the hardware store and mm-hmm. you figure it out. The funny thing is you still end up doing that, especially if you work in nonfiction. Like, you know, in, in VR, we're constantly inventing and scrounging and figuring it out and it's part of the fun of it.
1: Yeah. Um, is it... Is it possible, technically, like, uh, hardware-wise? Um, what does Chris need to like make a garage a garage movie? Uh, you can in go to 360? you can go to
0: Best Buy right now and buy yourself a Gear 360 from Samsung, and you know do you know? I mean, we we actually use some some low-end cameras too in our stuff, but then what are, also price
1: point. What are we talking?
0: A couple hundred bucks, you know. We can you can get yourself going, but you know, I in a, in an, it, it, there's a part of me right now actually that wants to say don't do it. Mm. And first, figure out what storytelling is. Mm-hmm. Go and read books. Go and listen to the radio. Mm-hmm. Go and and figure out what it is you want to say. Mm-hmm. You know, the 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 one of the best classes I ever had um, was. My f- the intro to film class that they make you take as a film student.
1: Yeah, we, we called our, uh, my freshman year, they called it A&A. It was aesthetics and analysis. Yeah, I think it's like, it's you know, it's, it's the A-level class.
0: Yeah. And they literally say, no, you don't get to touch mm-hmm. the complicated cameras. Um, you know, you, one of the assignments was literally to take a, a a, a still camera, and you had to figure out what you know how to compose an image, and you were critiqued on whether you were able to execute, you know, positive and negative space, centering the image, what, what how framing works, the rule of thirds, and you're just literally just the simplest tool, you know, your iPhone. You can go and tell a a damn good story that can make somebody cry with an iPhone. Mm-hmm. It's not about the technology, um, you know. Tell us tell a story that can make me feel something. And then figure out what the technology is. I mean, I think there's a lot of, you know, to do. There, there's a lot of what you don't want to end up doing is is ending up in something that's so technologically heavy that you're worrying about the technology all the time and not 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 telling a good story. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, when I look at at young people's work that sometimes people send in to us when they're you know looking for an internship or stuff like, I I don't want you to see you trying to be Steven Spielberg. I right. want I want to see you. It, I wanted to see it be out of focus and wrong technically because like that all that all that stuff you can learn, yeah. but right. do you can you have the instinct of telling a story, yep. um, because at the end of the day that's what matters. We're, we're willing as an audience to forgive a lot technically if it's if it's if it if it moves us.
2: Right. I agree.
1: One of the things I'm super excited about is um, I did some poking around today at the technology that I. Was exposed to as a student from like the film strips, the beep. Uh, you know, you had a slide carousel that beeped. Then you got film strips, etc. And I was thinking about ten years from now, and and whether there's a a moment where there can be those those connections with uh, every student through um, immersive video, whether it's. 360, virtual reality? Um, I kind of hope there is. I think so. I
0: mean, I think I think you... I think we're in an interesting place right now. I was talking to a friend of mine who who actually works at NPR. And um, and he was sort of realizing that he didn't have to make radio programs anymore because he he wanted to do something that involved a lot of the photos that he'd taken. He went to India for two years, and, and he wanted to uh, sort of somehow find something that was both kind of Something between a coffee table book and a radio program mm-hmm. well, you can do that now there's no reason that a that a that a coffee table book can't talk to you um, you just that's just an app mm-hmm. you can those boundaries of, are blurring, and we can invent new stuff. I think that's what's exciting and I think if you know any educator you know what you always are doing when you're teaching is like okay you're you're, you're feeding information in right and but the most valuable part of learning is actually when that Person you've been feeding stuff into starts to try to do something with that uh, to to sort of get their own sea legs and 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 that's where you learn really is by trying something mm-hmm. and not being afraid to try something and making sure that that person isn't afraid to to try to express themselves and begin to understand how you do that ultimately that's what it's about yeah um, so you know you don't want to um, you don't want to end up going down and making too much. And, and, and technology can be a barrier to that. Complicated technology can be a barrier to that, um, uh, because then you just become learning, become good at learning Photoshop or some, <laughs> you know, the, the ins in and out of a piece of software. All of that's useless ultimately, because the software will be upgraded and changed. And somebody, you know, you, you can always find somebody that's a software technician. But what you can't learn is how to tell a story. Yeah, and that's what it's about,
1: to me. I think that's a great place for us to land. Um Chris Velasquez, yes, Max sir. Solomon. Thank you guys so much for doing this. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank this, you. This, this, this was, has been this was a, lot a pretty fun. fun
2: conversation. It was um, an amazing conversation. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thanks so much, Max, for your time. And uh Black Dot Films. Any place else you yeah, need so, to point people?
0: So uh all, you can see all of our stuff on Facebook, I um, you know, um if you go to uh, I think our on Facebook, um, you can find us at BDFVR, um, uh, Black Dot Films VR, and uh, all of our work is up there. And you can, you can look look through that. Um, you can also see it on National Geographic's YouTube channel Great.
1: and Facebook page. And I will uh, put all of that in the show notes so that people can link directly to it. Chris, you want to you want to shout to any of your social media or or
2: elsewhere? Sure, you could. You guys could follow me on Instagram at um, Kristen Xv and. Uh, that's actually the only social media I have so Perfect. shout out Ibeam shout out uh, mini
1: right on Thanks guys For more info about how you can sponsor no such thing hit me on Twitter at MA lesser no such thing is produced in partnership with City University of New York's master's program in youth studies at SPS learn more at SPS. and mouse a national youth development nonprofit that believes in technology as a force for good. Find us on the web at mouse.org. The tracks in this podcast were produced by Leroy Tindy, a guest in episode zero and young man who I beat in a slam dunk contest in 2004. Find him on SoundCloud at air Tindy beats. The podcast is produced by me, Mark Lesser, a learner like you and our show notes can be found at nosuchthing.wordpress.